Hello, I'm Scott Soshnick. I'm Evan Novi-Williams. And I'm Michael Barr, and this is the Bloomberg Business of Sports podcast, where we explore the big money issues in the world of sports. Today, we begin with March Madness. Oh, those TV ratings, because this is one of the wildest ones we've seen in a while. Yeah, but I'm loving this because, you know, you break down ratings in half-hour increments. So the game, that's, of course, Candace and Duke went to overtime. The game was supposed to be over at 7 o'clock. Now, if you know anything about weekend television, 7 p.m. CBS forever has been 60 Minutes. 60 Minutes this week was promoting, yes, Giannis Antetokounmpo, but the huge (laughs) get was the interview with Stormy Daniels. So you're wondering, are you getting those tuning in to see Stormy Daniels? They find overtime of a basketball game. They know the name Duke. I'm going to hang around and watch this, right? It's in overtime. Therefore, you get some monster numbers. Yeah, we talk so much about how live sports leading into some other telecast can promote the the ratings for that telecast. This seemed to be an example where the opposite happened. Scott talked about those increments. 6.45, the rating was 11.1. At 7 o'clock, 14.9. 7.15.16. You know, this is a rating that was definitely bolstered by the fact that a lot of people around the country turned on CBS around 7 o'clock expecting to find the Stormy Daniels interview. They yeah, didn't the pull the Heidi Bowl. Yeah, exactly, by cutting away early. But the beauty is they had Duke and Kansas playing. Two other teams that might have been like, eh, whatever, I'll come back. Oh, there's still some time. Duke and Kansas, you stay and watch. You're in overtime of that game. People stayed and watch. That's 20-plus million viewers. And the luckiest folks of the whole thing, and I know we joke about it in the intro there, but the Milwaukee Bucks. This could be the top-watched piece of basketball content all year that folks – we're watching Giannis Antetokounmpo waiting for Stormy Daniels, or are they stuck with the program? What I mean, if you have to promote a guy on your team, that was the show and that was the night. Also, a nice reminder for college basketball fans that as much as you know your Loyola Chicago's steal the spotlight from a social media standpoint and the buzz, if you want good ratings, uh, you need Kansas and Duke. You know, you need these blue blood programs. The the Cinderella stories are nice, but when it comes to the hard numbers of TV watching, uh, you would rather have, if you're a network executive, you'd rather have two of these blue blood programs than you would have the upset special. You want, well, you want the upsets, but you want the 12-5 upset. <laughs> you, <Yeah>. you, know, <laughs> you, you don't want the, and I'm air quoting here, you don't want 16 over 1, 15 over 2. That's not the kind of upset that TV executives go for. They want the known commodities, the big names, the big coaches, and for whatever's left in the college basketball world these days, the biggest name players at the big program. That said, last year this this slot was UNC Kentucky, so two other you know classic college basketball programs, and the ratings there thirteen point one, so well below what we saw yesterday. Uh, there was conversation. We talked about it here as well about uh, the, this ongoing scandal in college basketball, whether it might turn viewers away if they suddenly quote-unquote, realized that, that that all this wasn't happening in the in the purest form of amateurism. It certainly at least doesn't seem as though there are some jaded college football basketball fans out there turning away now uh, because players may be getting paid under the Nothing table. Nothing about the nice viewing was pure, except for Antetokounmpo. <laughs> Kansas, Villanova, one game in the Final Four. The other game, Michigan against Loyola Chicago, the Cinderella team. And they've got Sister Jean behind them. Don't you want to just kind of think, which one of these is not like the other? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Loyola, Chicago. Like, what? Really? You got to give a 98-year-old 
Sister Jean Schmidt, she is the – she's been to the games. They they haven't been in a long time. And <laughs> I would say what you will, power, prayer, whatever, but the team is now in the Final Four. And now, according to ESPN, she has said, okay, if you guys, the school, want to use my name for marketing stuff – she's not making a dime, by the way, of it, by the way. I want to add that. But if you guys want to use my name, go right ahead. For my money, Sister Jean is the story of the NCAA tournament. Uh, there, there are folks out there that track uh, how much people are mentioned in stories around the NCAA tournament. Sister Jean has more stories that mention her than Mike Shashevsky and Bill Self, the coaches of Duke and Kansas, have combined. You know, that's how prevalent the coverage and the consumption has been so far of Sister Jean and, and the Ramblers. I hate to use hyperbole, but right now she's more popular than the Pope. Religious wise, because I, everybody's talking about her. There was a quote. Now, I'm still trying to see if this is true or not. Someone asked her, she said, what are you giving up for Lent? And she said, losing. Losing, yeah. <laughs> yeah, this is the power. Again, we'll go to it. Why, like, the D-League isn't really an option for, like, one-and-done players. You want to go to college for a year. And this is the reason also why the NBA doesn't want the right from high school to the pros Think about Sister Jean. It's been how Final Four. So they've played four games, right? Right. She has now become a national, nay, an international brand, all because of four basketball games in this tournament. This is why the NBA wants those one-and-done kids in college for one year because a guy like Carmelo Anthony, he's sure we know his name and he's big throughout the regular season, but he goes and plays six games in March – and he becomes a household name, ready-made star commodity when he hits the NBA. It's free marketing. That's why they don't want to give it up. It also the commercial opportunity also underscores the the length at which uh, e-tail e-commerce has caught up with these flash sports moments as Scott's talking about. I mean, the fact that companies like Fanatics out there can sell you a Sister Jean shirt uh, within an hour of the game ending, you know, this is going to end at some point for Loyola in the next seven days. It's either going to end in the Final Four or it's going to end in the Finals for good or for bad. Uh, And in the past, you would have to sell a Sister Jean shirt weeks or months later. You know, people that are buying these 5,000 bobbleheads Bought them on the spur of the moment because After it was the euphoria so of the win. Yeah. Where, sure. if Loyola Chicago, if you can hit a Loyola Chicago fan right after they go to the Final Four, when this kind of euphoria, it must be at some sort of like, well, Edmund, what's you just finished your wilderness uh, course here? What's coursing through your body when you've won <laughs> adrenaline? Something? Is it more than adrenaline? Is it dopamine? dopamine there you go. Sure. So you've got adrenaline on top of dopamine, and you've got someone hitting you with a text message saying, "Hey, one touch, buy this now," and you do it. There's a psychology and a, and a physiology behind the buy power. So, yeah, and, mm-hmm. and Fanatics is taking advantage of it. It's these kind of moments. And on to a much more serious topic. Let's talk about the NFL owners' meetings. And more importantly, let's talk about the owner of the Texans, Robert McNair. He has said that uh, the national anthem is uh, going to be a hot topic during the meetings, let's expand on you that. Just, the what owners must be si- yeah. The owners must be sitting there going, one, I cannot believe we're still talking about this. Two, I cannot believe that we are not in kind of unanimity here and figuring out what to do. And they are not. If this drags into the next football season, yeah. that is an 
awful job by the NFL. This thing has got to be solved. Remember, Bob McNair is the owner who a few months ago in a, in a closed doors meeting said that, you know, the, the protests were like letting the inmates run the prison, you know, which he profusely apologized for. These comments came not only rehashing a lot of this protest stuff, also came in a pretty staunch defense of Jerry Richardson, uh, the owner of the Panthers, who is now selling after allegations that he made racial, racially insensitive it comments. It was just kidding, Bob and McNair said. It was just joking. You know, it comes from a different time. It was just joking. Yeah, there is a lot of different folds of this Bob McNair interview, none of which I would imagine uh, is, is is happy reading for, for the folks over on Park Avenue and, and Roger Goodell. I'm just wondering, is this one of the reasons why the re- Rebirth of the XFL and uh, Ebersol's son and his project for his league. I'm wondering why if this is starting to get traction now. Well, I don't know if it's getting traction. They're, they're trying it. I, I I don't know if the appetite, if, if they sort of sold it that everybody will stand and all that. I'm not sure the NFL fan who's being turned off, even though we know they're not really turning off the TV because of it, but I'm not sure they're going to say, yeah, this is my new thing. I'm watching this other league with lesser talented players just because they changed the rules. That remains to be seen. But this, this is PR 101. And if the message is, and it seems to be coming from Bob McNair, that protest and politics, that, that shouldn't be anywhere near the football field. You know, let's just play the game. This is not what our, this platform is for. Well, then please tell me why you're accepting money from the armed forces to pretty much put on commercials on the field and flyovers. That's taxpayer money. These are commercials. So I'm just not sure that he's standing on terra firma with this. This is not what this is about. I also wonder how much of this is a age divide. You know, I, I don't have the stats in front of me. I would think just thinking anecdotally, the NFL owners are the oldest ownership group uh, in, in the major sports. Uh, and, and a lot of the older ones, you know, Jerry Jones, Jerry Richardson, Bob McNair, seem to be the ones that are generating a lot of the, the negative headlines or, or, or speaking a bit out of turn. Uh, lost, I think, in this conversation this weekend, Chris Johnson, Woody Johnson's younger brother, who is now kind of running the Jets day to day, kind of had the opposite approach as McNair, um, essentially saying that the owners have no business telling players whether they can protest, the way in which they do it, what they say, etc. Um, I do wonder if as we see more teams popping up for sale, Tom Benson passed away last week. There, there's a chance that that team might hit the market. Uh, we may see a, a shift in the way that the NFL owners approach topics like this just by virtue of a newer, maybe younger generation taking the reins. This strikes me more than age, more than anything else. You got to know who your customers are, who, you know, who comes to my games. And this is a market-driven decision. This is red state, blue state. And if you're in Texas, I think we know more conservative. I mean, you can just look at the political maps. If you're in San Francisco, something tells me the owners of the 49ers will not come out and say that you must stand for anything because their customers, their constituents, probably or a large a majority of them don't think the same way. They're more accepting of players kneeling. So you, you, you wonder if, if what kind of, what sort of polling is going on behind the scenes? What, what are these franchises relying on to make these decisions at this point? And how should I back, how should I conduct my business when it comes to 
this player protest. Let's talk about where things go from here. We're five or six months away from the start of the next NFL season. Uh, these protests during the last NFL season led to possible ratings dips. It led to feuding publicly with sponsors like Papa John. It led to other owners speaking out against Roger Goodell in the Central League office. Uh, is there a chance that this continues through the offseason all the way into the next season and, and we start having these same midseason problems again? I would say no, only in that Roger knows that it can't be that way. He knows one way or the other they have got to have finality on this and get the focus back on the guys who carry the ball, throw the ball, kick the ball. That is what they need to do. I want to read a quote exactly from McNair. He said, we're going to deal with it in such a way, I think, that people will understand that we want everybody to respect our country, respect our flag. And then he added, and our playing fields, that's not the place for political statements. And I'm wondering if that's the part where all you know what's going to break loose. It, it could be. I, I, they tried to have detente. They tried to broker meetings between players and league and, and owners. And they just can't seem to come to a meeting of the minds on this issue. Players are saying, we're grown men. And they are willing to take whatever happens because of their stance, whether it's Eric Reed or Colin Kaepernick. I mean, Kaepernick probably had a good idea that he may not get another contract if he comes out like, like this. And that is exactly what we've seen. What Eric Reed said, he's already come out and said, I will not do this again next season. I will find another way because he probably realizes that is keeping him from employment. Another thing that the next sentence in that Bob McNair quote, uh, Michael, is uh, the, the, the playing field is not the place for religious statements either. You know, that's a whole different can of worms that I don't think yeah. an owner has waded into before this. Uh, anyone who's watched a game on Sunday sees players cross themselves. If you listen to a post-game interview, everyone is thanking God. Religion is a very, very fundamental part of football uh, and certainly more prevalent in the game right now than political protests are. Uh, I'm also curious to see kind of how his statement on, on religion's place in football ages as, as we yeah. move his forward. His market probably wants that. Exactly. Yeah. This is the Bloomberg Business of Sports podcast. I'm Michael Barr, along with Scott Soschnick and Evan Novi-Williams. We are here each and every Monday and Friday exploring the world of money and sports. Join us again at the end of the week when we speak with the biggest and brightest in sports business. You're listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports from Bloomberg Radio around the world and online as an Apple podcast on iTunes.